The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Please open the Word of God to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, although there are going to be a number of other scriptures in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians and uh, other places. So I'll direct your attention to those and they'll be on the screen. But what we're considering for one final week is that God is at work all around us, that he is constantly working. And in God's work, what he does is, is this wonder where he pursues us, you, for a love relationship with him. He loves you. And in his pursuit of you, he brings you to himself. And and like a father walking arm in arm with his son or daughter, he invites us to participate with him in the work that he is doing. And I've gotten the sense over the last several weeks and months that some of you have begun to experience that invitation more and more, that God has invited you into what he's doing. And as he invites you, it leads you to this momentary crisis of belief, this decision point where you have to decide, are you going to make the adjustments that are required to be obedient? to the leading of God? What will your willing heart lead to willing hands to do the work that God invites you into? And as you do that, as you step in obedience into this work, as he leads you, we experience God working through us in ways that we cannot accomplish on our own. And I've been hearing such encouraging testimonies of, of people coming to saving faith in Jesus through you stepping out in boldness to share and, and to talk as led by the Lord into his work. This week, this Sunday, this is the final week in this series before we have to pivot like we always do to celebrate Christmas and this wonderful Advent season. But what I hope you've begun to see in your life is as you do this, I hope it's it's been impactful as you've abided in the vine, stayed connected to the living God and in that relationship begun to bear fruit in your life. See, apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. 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 But, but the last thing I want you to see as we wrap up this series together is that while we experience God personally, we are not meant to experience him alone. See, this concept of, of knowing and doing the, the will of God, as much as it applies to you as an individual, God is also at work to lead us, his church. He is at work amongst us, his church. And as we, a unified body of individuals, seek to abide in him, he will lead us to step forward in unity into his work. So there's, there's a collective mission that he calls us into, a collective response of obedience in which we as a community experience God do through his church what only he can do. And, and I've actually been so encouraged as, as I've already begun to see this happening through individuals in the church. God has been stirring specific ministries and, and new callings and, and new things to step into. And, and you've been bringing these ideas to me and talking about them in your, your small groups. God is stirring amongst us. And see, what the Bible tells us is that you, believer, will never thrive fully. You'll never be able to abide fully in the vine apart from a living relationship, a vertical relationship with God. See, if if you're not connected in this vertical relationship with God, you will wither. And in the same way, if you're not connected to horizontal relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, connected to one another in relationship with the church, you will also fail to thrive. I I read a survey the other day and it said 86% of respondents to this survey said that it was possible to live an active, a healthy Christian life without being part of a church. 86% of those surveyed. That is to maintain one's Christian faith apart from connection to a local church body. Those of you who are here this morning or watching online, obviously to some extent you disagree with that conclusion, right? 
But what we actually see over the last few years is that humans can't even physically survive on their own in isolation let alone disconnected from their church community. What we've seen as wave after wave of virus and crisis has come into our world, the way that it's driven people into isolation. And we've become the most electronically connected and yet physically and relationally isolated generation in history. And how do you think that's going for us as a society? The results have been devastating. To the extent that isolation's increased, we've seen this anxiety, depression, alcoholism, Domestic violence, suicides, all these things have increased as isolation has increased. And this isn't new. Actually, for decades, studies have shown this, that, that living in isolation reduces physical immunity. It increases the likelihood of cardiovascular disease and, and other ailments. And, and the results of this isolation are increased mortality. Why? Because we are not made for that. We are not made to live in isolation. I often say it's better to get Taco Bell with a friend than to eat salad alone. Always a better choice. <laughs> Genesis 1 says this, and I often refer to this uh, scripture. It says, as God looks upon what he's, he's created, he's looking upon this sinless, perfect Eden, and he's looking at Adam there in the garden, and he says it's all very good, and then he looks at Adam in, in his aloneness, his isolation, and he looks at him and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Not good. This was before sin entered into the picture. And he looks at Adam in, on his own and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. See, God created each of us with this, this capacity for relationship, certainly with him, but also with others. And he's created each of us with a unique purpose, a unique contribution to make to his work, to something bigger than ourselves. Don't you want to be part of something bigger than yourself? Like if, if we are all that our life is about, that's how we often live, but don't you want more than that? Don't you want better than that? And God has called us to better than that. See, when we become Christians, when we give our lives to Jesus, we become automatically part of something bigger than ourselves. We become connected to his church and it's for our good and for his glory. Ephesians 2.19 says it this way. It says, so then, this is what happens when you become a believer. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and you are members of the household of God. You have a new citizenship. You have a new family identity. You belong to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is your loving father. You're his for eternity. Do you live in that? Do you grasp that identity, not just as an individual, but as his church? See, we are called not just to believe something when we come to faith, we are called to belong, to belong. And God's chosen environment for belonging in scripture, what he reveals is that is the church. The Bible describes the church as believers as put together, joined together, built together, members together, heirs together, fitted together, held together. See, knowing and doing the will of God, it's not just for you as an individual. Today, we're celebrating in the second service. You won't be able to see this online, but in our second service, we're celebrating four baptisms today, and there are more coming, and it's so exciting. But what we celebrate in baptism, and we'll talk about this during the service, is we celebrate this identification with Christ in his death and in his resurrection, as these new believers testify to what has occurred in their new birth in Christ. But it's also, at the same time, we get to celebrate as a church the joining of these individuals' lives with the church members of his body. Now, if you've been around church, you've, you've heard that, that terminology, members of his body before. But if we really step back, it does sound kind of weird, doesn't it? Like you are each body parts. 
parts collectively of one whole body. But I think it's such a helpful analogy for us to understand what it means to not just know and do the will of God as individuals, but as a church. Ephesians 4, 15 to 16 says this. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So we, as a community, grow up to reflect, to be more like Jesus our Savior, from whom the whole body joins and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are members of his body, the church. Under who? Who is in charge? Christ. Christ is the head. Christ is the head of the body, and we are to grow up in maturity to reflect Christ more and more. He is our king. So, so maybe you've been seeing the work of God in the church over the last few weeks, and you've thought, God, what is your will for the King's Chapel? What do you want for TKC? What is it next that you're doing? What are the, the next steps that you are inviting us to take? But once again, the better question for our church is not what is God's will for the King's Chapel, but rather what is God's will? What is God's will for his body? What is God's will for the church? The first thing I, I want to point out to you, and there, I could, could preach 10 sermons on, on the church and, uh, and how it ought to function, but what I want to see are, are some key things that are characteristics, desires of God, his will for you, for us as a community. The first is, number one, God desires that we belong. God desires that we belong. Following Christ is not just about believing the Bible tells us it includes belonging. Romans 12, 5, I invited you to turn to Romans chapter 12. You can look at verse uh, 12, 5, and it says, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You belong to one another. To Paul, the author of Romans, to be a member of the church, it meant a lot more than being a member of Costco or a member of a country club. Those are great things, right? Those are awesome if you, if you can have that in your life. But what he means by being a member is he means being a vital organ of a living body, an indispensable, interconnected part of the body of Christ. And so to be a member of a church means to be part of a body, not a building, an organism, not just an organization. And so for the organs of your body to, to function the way they ought to, they have to be connected to your body. And I, I know that seems obvious, but the same is true for you as part of Christ's body. Not only is it necessary to be connected for your own benefit, but the body needs you. The body needs you. God has given you a place to contribute. You were created for a role. You were given gifts to use for the sake of building up the body, and you will miss your purpose for your life if you're not attached to a living local body of believers, a church. First Corinthians 12, 18, it says this, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. This is an obvious analogy, but if an organ or a part of your body is severed from the body, it will die disconnected from the body. Ask our youth pastor, Brendan, about what it's like to, to be missing a toe. And he'll tell you that that toe is pretty useless. This is just an insight into the Jeske dinner table, our home growing up. This is where this happened. He'll have to tell you about that sometime. Pretty disturbing, though. He'll tell you that, that not only was his toe useless, but also his body was rendered a little less effective as a result of losing that toe. He's doing well now, though, okay? In other words, the body needs the toe. Even more so, uh, the toe needs the body, doesn't it? So the same is true of us disconnected 
from the lifeblood of a local body, your spiritual life will wither and eventually cease to exist. When you, you start hearing people talk about like, I, I like Christianity, I like Jesus, I just don't like the church. What they're saying is, is I don't like Christ's body, I don't like Christ's bride. And what we see was when that attitude begins to creep in often, that is directly related to their participation, their involvement, their connection in the church. If you see people start to drift away from regular connection with the church, regular attendance within the church, often that's where the doubts will flow in. That's where those struggles of connection will begin. And the body itself will suffer as a result of that disconnection. You have a purpose a contribution to make, a mission to fulfill. Not only that, but, but just as the health of one part of the body affects the rest, so when one part is hurting, the rest of the body can respond to give care. The, the, at the end of the summer, I, I had uh, the joy of being able to go tubing and had a lot of fun being pulled behind a really fast boat on a tube. But in that activity, I actually injured my elbow. And I kind of covered it up and, and did what... Um, you know, what, what men are supposed to do. Like, I'm strong, I'm fine. It's just like a scrape on my elbow, no big deal. Um, and and I, I tried to, to go forth showing no weakness because that's what I learned in sports and all these things, show no weakness. You know, that might be a good thing, a good approach to intimidating an opponent in a, a sporting event. But when you show no weakness to your own body, that's silly, that doesn't make any sense. And so I'm, I'm covering up this, this wound and, and uh, you know, not to gross you out or anything, but it becomes infected. And I'm just ignoring it until days later when there's red streaks going up and down my arm, moving toward my heart eventually. And uh, I'm getting fevers and chills and all kinds of stuff. And one happy day on the lake becomes something altogether different as I finally respond to the encouragement of my wife to go and actually see a doctor and get it taken care of. So I, I got those antibiotics and, and got that taken care of. But what I want you to see is that as one part of the body had a lack of health, was suffering, it needed attention, not to be ignored, not to be cut off, not to be taken away from the body. And it, it alerted the rest of me to know that there was something to respond to. I can remember a couple years ago when I was here in the church working in our young adult ministry and, and the pastor over a young adult ministry at the time, he had a sense from the Lord somehow supernaturally, despite me, me putting on a front of having it all together all the time. He came to me and he, he said, man, I was praying for you the other day and you came to my mind very strongly. He, he described it as a burden from the Lord. Have you ever felt that as you're praying for someone, a burden for someone else? Respond to that, pay attention to that. Because he comes to me and he says, I just kind of felt this burden. Are you okay? Is everything uh, okay for you? And, and what I hadn't told him or, or really made known to him was, no, I wasn't doing that great. I, I was struggling. I was actually really down because um, of a lot of reasons. I, I had lost a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine from high school, and, and um, I was uh, struggling in my personal intimacy with the Lord. What I gave him was kind of a cop-out answer, which was, which was, oh yeah, you know, like I just haven't been doing my quiet times every day. So yeah, I'm, I guess I'm not doing that great, that kind of thing. We do that, right? We don't even though he had asked me a direct question and I, I knew that I was struggling, I gave him kind of a half-hearted answer. But what he did was he stopped and he prayed for me. And as he prayed, it was as if the spirit of God led him to exactly what was actually going on in my life. And he was able to encourage me and build me up and help me when I was struggling. He was connected to me relationally through the body. We were serving together in the church. And as I was struggling, the spirit of God was able to help him to see that and to respond to it. So if you're hurting right now, if you're struggling right now, that is not a burden to the body. 
Sometimes we think we can't make known our weaknesses and our struggles because we're going to burden someone else. But no, that's not how a body works. When you step on Legos, you don't get mad at your foot, do you? You get mad at your children, okay? And, and that's, but think about it. We do this all the time. We're like, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, but I don't want to be a burden to anyone else. No, you are part of a body and your body needs you to be well and healthy for it to grow in maturity. So forget that notion of showing no weakness. Forget that notion of hiding and isolating like, like Adam and Eve in their shame, hiding from God, hiding from each other in their sin and their shame. No, the Holy Spirit has, has likely been encouraging you as you struggle to let that be known to someone else. Or maybe, maybe you're on the opposite end of that and God has brought to mind as you've been praying for, for other parts of the church, he's brought to mind individuals, households, families, and situations. And he's given you a burden for those things, certainly to pray, but maybe to do even more than that, to reach out and to encourage, to connect, to give attention to the part of the body that is struggling. Will you do it? Will you be obedient as he leads you to not ignore that, that foot that is crying out, that toe, that, that elbow that is crying out, will you make that call? Will you make that connection? See, membership, belonging to a community of believers, it's not inconsequential. It's important. It's so important for our health. It's not something that can be casually ignored. See, the church is God's agenda for the world. God loves the church. He made the church. This is his, his, his chosen means of bringing salvation, the gospel to the world, is through the church certainly through the, the universal church, the global church, but also through local expressions of that body. It's for our good and for the good of others and for his glory. God desires that we belong. Secondly, God desires that we humbly contribute. Humbly contribute. I want you to read to you again from Romans chapter 12 uh, in verse six. It says, well, starting in verse five, we'll go back. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts, note that, that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them in prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. See, we have varying gifts given to different parts of the body. Not all of you have the same gifts. Some of you have, have profound gifts that the Lord has given you that you are holding on to. You're not letting the church know about just yet. And I will tell you that the Lord has called you to serve, to contribute to his body, to, to use the gifts that he bestows upon you for the building up of his body. And so we need you to serve to contribute, to, to do what Christ did, to serve by laying down his life. There are other lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. There's, there's a list in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Peter 4 and Ephesians 4, and the lists are not all the same. So when we think about these gifts of grace to the church, if we think about spiritual gifts, they're not all the same. We don't even know if we have an exhaustive list, list. but the consistent testimony of scripture is that God empowers you believers to bless the church. God empowers you to bless the church. So I'm gonna talk about spiritual gifts for a moment and just ask a couple of key questions here. The first is this, what are they? What are spiritual gifts? A spiritual gift is a spiritually empowered capacity for service to believers without merit on their part. It's not something that we deserve. We don't have a gifting from the Lord or the ability to bless the church even temporarily because of our merit. No, it's something that, that we receive from the Lord and that we did not necessarily experience before coming to Christ. 
So what we see is there's a, a distinction, a natural, there's a distinction between a natural talent on the one hand and a spiritual gift. A natural talent is given at birth. Actually, I don't even know. We develop them from birth. We develop the ability to do things better and better, these, these skills. But a supernatural gifting, that is given in our new birth. So when you're born, you might have certain talents and abilities and skills, but when you're born again, when you become a Christian, you are in that moment indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God himself and the Holy Spirit brings with him abilities to minister in a way that honors God. So you may have natural talents, like some of you have a, a beautiful singing voice, some of you don't. Some of you have an artistic eye, others maybe not. Some can, can design or, or you have an incredible athletic prowess or a tremendous capacity to focus. You can write code for, for days or ceaseless energy to just smile and dial in a sales environment. And, and you have great skills in those things. And these are gifts that, that God has given. These are gifts, certainly abilities, natural abilities, but you can have all of those without being a Christian, can't you? So there's no denying that the people who are not Christians can be tremendously talented and do amazing things, not because of the Holy Spirit indwelling them, but because of the common grace of God toward humanity, those who bear his image. So, so what are these gifts? They are spiritually empowered capacities. It also describes them in scriptures as manifestations of God's spirit. So he is, the, the gift is the blessing that it brings to the church. It's not your personal superpower as a Christian. That's not how it works. The gift is the blessing that it brings for the building up of the believer and the building up of the church. See, who gives these gifts? These gifts are just that, they are gifts. This is a time of year in which we talk about presents and gifts. And it says this in 1 Corinthians 12, four, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. See, these gifts are just that. They are gifts free of charge, given by God to minister in his strength. Who gets them? All Christians, all believers. First Corinthians 12, 11 says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. In other words, the entire Trinity, of course, God is one. And as he ministers through us, the Trinity is at work. God, the father blessing us through his spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills. Why are these gifts given? For the good of others and for the glory of God. First Corinthians 12, seven says, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. See, has anyone ever taken one of those spiritual gift tests? Like you, you take them and it'll tell you, this is what you might be really good at. Everyone scores really low on mercy or being helpful, right? And we all score really well and I'm a teacher, I'm an administrator, I'm a leader, right? I don't like the spiritual gift test for, for a reason. Then the main reason is this, that it might, it might draw you to some of your natural affinity. It might draw you to a, a ministry in which you might be able to make a contribution. But what we see in scripture consistently is, is that these are supernatural empowerments. These are supernatural enablements for the common good, for the good of his church. These are not your personal spiritual superpowers. They're manifestations of God's power. Now, there's no doubt that God will empower certain gifts, some gifts in certain individuals more consistently. So if you see someone who, who perhaps prays for people with faith consistently and sees healing take place in their life, that might be a, a specific ministry that the Lord is calling them to, where he manifests himself in their life through this, this particular ministry. First Peter 4.10 says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks 
as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. In the exercise of spiritual gifts, and and hopefully in, in the coming months or years, we'll get to talk about these each more in depth, but in the exercise of these spiritual gifts, who is it ultimately about? Bringing glory to who? To God. Not to us, not to the individual, but to God. The key to the exercise of these gifts is this humility. Humility. I, I, I said that, that the church is called to, the will of God is that we humbly contribute. Romans 12, 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. But here's what's been so exciting to me over the last few weeks is many of you have been drawing near to God in this love relationship as he's spoken to you and, and you've begun to respond in obedience to that invitation. You've seen him empower gifts in you that you didn't even know were there. And what I'd encourage you to do, if you're wondering, Lord, what, what specifically have you gifted me to do? I think, first of all, ask the Lord and ask him for some of these things that you, you don't think are naturally true of you. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. It says to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So ask him for this type of gifting for the edification of the body. And and certainly as we're connected in fellowship with the rest of the body, you can also ask those around you. What do you see in me? How do you see the the Lord minister through me in in a way that is is unique? What do you think? Ask And, and see as people are prayerful in their response to you, what they might say. And if you believe the Lord is calling you to a specific ministry, if he's gifting you with certain capacities, pursue that, step forward in obedience into that. The third thing I want you to see, God's will for his church, is that God desires purity. He desires that we be pure before him. Ephesians chapter five, verse 25, really famous passage on marriage, it says this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. See, this is God's desire for his church, that like like a bride adorned for her husband on her wedding day, pure, beautiful, spotless, God desires that for us as a church. And just as a godly husband's desire is to lay down his life in service for his wife, Jesus Christ has already demonstrated an even higher love by laying down his life for us while we were yet sinners. He cares for you immensely. And his desire is that his church, like a bride adorned, will reflect his righteousness, his purity, his zeal. How do we do that? Well, I think it it begins with each part as individuals, each member of this body pursuing holiness and purity. And today, what it might look like for you is is not throwing yourself into more effort and religion, but no, throwing yourself upon the grace of God in repentance, acknowledging your weakness, your shortcoming, and resting in his grace toward you. Some of you need to do that today, to, to lay down some things in repentance, to turn from unrighteousness, because as we as individuals pursue purity, the church 
reflects more and more God's intent for it to be like a bride, holy, without blemish. Romans 12, verses 9 to 13 go on to say, let love be genuine in this pursuit of purity. Here's how. Abhor what is evil. That means hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Hold fast to it. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I love that little verse. There's so much competitiveness in our culture and in our church, and we see it on the pickleball court, and we see it all over the place. What if this was our competitive aim? To outdo one another in showing honor. To not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I want you to see this Christian life. He's, he's, he's encouraging you. Get after it. Pursue it. Run toward the Lord. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And fourthly, God desires that we be unified. God's will for our church, for the church, is unity. I want you to see in the last evening that Jesus spends with his disciples, if you were with him and he was telling you that the hour was coming, that he was going to go to the cross, you would be hanging on every word. And we can see in the Gospel of John that they are hanging on every word from Jesus. And what he says to them in this moment, actually in John 17, is he starts to pray. And they're listening to him as he prays. And he prays for his disciples, the, the 12 that are there. He's praying for them. I should say the 11 that are there as Judas has gone out to betray him. And he prays for, for them that they will continue to be his, that, that the Lord will, that God Almighty will keep them. And then he says this, he asks this about us, those who will come to believe in the future. This is a prayer of Jesus for you. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those that will believe in me through their word. That's us. He says that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. What does unity look like in the body? Well, I think certainly it looks like us moving in the, the same direction. All parts of the body, our eyes, our ears, our hands, our feet moving in the same direction. My, my children, um, because they are Jeskies, they all have fairly large heads. And when they're young, we have to encourage them constantly to look where you're going. Because if they don't, well, they, they learn quickly the consequences of that. Unity looks like the church moving as one in the same direction, each part of the body contributing in the way that each has been called with the gifts that he has given, not pursuing our own aims, but in humility, walking with one another. And just as there cannot be division of parts in a healthy body, God has called us to unity, to oneness in him. So today is not a day to give you the ins and outs of Christian reconciliation, though I think that is very worthwhile. But, but what I want you to consider within the church is their relational brokenness. Is there division that you're wrestling with, that you see? Is there someone coming to mind that you know you need to forgive as Christ has forgiven you? Is there someone that has come to mind that you need to go to, to offer humbly a confession of wrongdoing, to seek reconciliation? Scripture tells us to seek peace 
and to uh, pursue it, to bless those who persecute, to bless and do not curse, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. This is Romans 12, 18. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Is God calling you to pursue this kind of peace, this unity this morning? I'm not gonna apply the scriptures for you, but I believe that his desire is clear that we be one, that we be one. Why? Why? It's a testimony to the world. The, the, the last thing that I want you to see God's will for his church is that we love one another. God desires that we love one another. John 13, 34 says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my, my disciples if you have love for one another. The very same evening in which Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, he, he says this, he says, there is a watching world and the way they will know the genuineness of your faith and your fellowship is that you have love for one another. It's as if he says to the world, world, I give you permission. I give you permission to look at the church, to look at these people who claim to be believers and, and to assess, do they actually love each other? And, and if they don't, it's as if Jesus gives them permission to judge us. He says, no, no, no. By your love for one another, the world will know that you are my disciples. Not even the way you love outsiders, not even the way you love unbelievers. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is how the world will know that you belong to Jesus. This is how we as the church reflect all that he intended us to be is that we seek to love one another. And what it flows out of that love, that connection, that affection for one another, it flows out of community, out of this connection to each other in community. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you love them? Do you love them with your affection? Do you love them with your action? Do you love them with your attention? Do you love the body of Christ. This more than any apologetic, more than any community service, uh, more than any, any nice thing we can do. This is how outsiders will weigh the genuineness of our fellowship. But even more than that, what a joy it is to be loved and to love, to be connected in this way to one another, to be counted among Christ's genuine disciples as we love one another. This church, the King's Chapel, we're known for community. And what I'm excited about in this, in this new season is I'm excited to know that God has even more in store for us as we learn to love our church family even more deeply. I wanna pray for you right now and, and the bands can come on up and we're going to, to praise the Lord as we conclude our time together. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we need you. We need you desperately. And Lord, you are not far off. You draw near to the brokenhearted. You are, are near to us even now. And I pray that we as a church, as individuals, would experience your near presence, that we would experience your forgiveness and your grace, and that we would be filled with love and affection for you and for others. Lord, I pray for the King's Chapel that we would be all these things that we just talked about. A place where, where people humbly contribute. A place where people... Uh, know their, their place, their role in the body and live in unity with one another, a place where we pursue love for one another as our testimony to the world. God, let your grace rest upon us. We love you. We commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.